0: Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast-off junk. Where does it go?
1: Welcome to Where Does It Go? a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily and I'm Sarah and today Sarah's going to go ahead and go first. I'm going to talk about the witness protection program and
0: it's hard to talk about where they go because the point is kind of we don't know. But it's good to talk about if you need to be in witness protection and why you need to be in witness protection, where would you go? And the answer is the U.S. Marshals, but I'll go into details. So the witness protection program was established in 1970 with the Organized Crime Control Act. And it basically lays out what the Department of Justice can do to protect key witnesses in federal and large state organized crime or other serious offenses. So if you're a, like a whistleblower or maybe you are also a criminal at part of a large organized crime family, you can be put in witness protection uh, so that you're a key witness in bringing someone down. So uh, how many people are in the witness protection program? There. Are various statistics, but it looks like the answer is about 18,865 people, and that was from a mental floss and popular mechanics articles on the subject that I read. People beginning the program. So you begin in the program, your family is whisked off in blacked-out vehicles, and you're taken to a safe, safe site. It's called the Safe Site and Orientation Facility. And it's run by the U.S. Marshals. And there you're given your new identity. You kind of learn what your new history is. You kind of work on your backstories. You you need to sound believable so people aren't like, wow, that's very strange. So uh, the U.S. Marshals have a clearinghouse for new birth certificates, passports, social security numbers, credit reports, work histories, and names. So this is all stuff that will be given to you And then with you, they will work out your new life history so that you're believable, like I said. And if you have kids, they will even have the school records transferred and changed. And no, they will not give your kids better grades. (laughs) This was a point made by one of the agents that was interviewed. And he said that he was asked by the parents if they could change the kids' grades. And he absolutely said No. (laughs) So people under the program are given about six months to become self-sufficient, and they get up to $60,000 salary to become self-sufficient with their new names and lives. They have a handler in the U.S. Marshals that they talk to exclusively. This is the guy they, they call if they think that someone's watching them, or they just have questions about what they should do in certain situations. And witness protection cases, this was actually a good thing, actually work, the conviction rate of the trials with protected witnesses that testified was cited as 89%. So they have an 89% conviction rate with these, ment- with these uh, I almost said mental, with these protected witnesses in these trials. And according to the Popular Mechanics article and a couple other articles I read, 95% of these people are actually criminals themselves. <laughs> There was an anecdote that I thought was really funny that the governor of Maine actually complained in 1995 that WITSEC, which is the short term for witness security, which is a witness protection program, was dumping too many organized criminals in Maine. (laughs) (laughs) So he was kind of mad that there were all these organized criminals um, in Maine. So he was like, stop. Stop dumping all these organized crime people in Maine because we don't want them. And you would think you would not put a ton of them in the same place because they might know each other.
1: But that's just me. I don't know. Is Maine sparsely populated?
0: Not really. Hmm.
1: I just think of like rocky beaches and lobster.
0: Yeah. And if the witnesses themselves, as I said, they're criminals themselves. If they're doing time, they will often be relocated and apparently uh, are given special treatment during... The time that they're there and um, before the trial. And interestingly, criminal recidivism—so this is the rate at which criminals go into prison, come out, and then commit crimes again—is a much, much lower for witness protection people than it is for people in jail. So that I thought that was interesting. It was 10 percent. I think on the whole, it's 60 percent for. Criminals coming out of jail. It's
1: pretty high. Yeah. But you do also have a federal marshal in your ear on a pretty regular basis.
0: Yeah. So, you know, they're watching. (laughs) They know. (laughs) Yeah. So how long do people stay in witness protection? And I really couldn't get a good thought out of this. Presumably forever, the rest of their lives, as long as they're going to be, you know, there's going to be challenges for them to not be seen or identified. In the, the old place that they were in, I really couldn't get any idea. The number of people who actually leave witness protection is really low, which is probably good. Generally, they stay in protection and in their new lives because they know they could be putting themselves in danger if they don't go out. They are told they are free to leave whenever they want. They generally don't. Um, there are a few anecdotes of people who did endanger themselves by doing things like going to funerals in their old lives. And I think one of them that was cited, his old house blew up as he was walking into it. And the other one, his restaurant blew up. So, you know, it doesn't pay to get out of the witness protection program if you wanted. So where do they decide to put people? And I thought that was funny. Obviously, we don't have any like this person is in Texas because that defeats the purpose. <laughs> Apparently, they will ask you where you want to go and not put you there. <laughs> <laughs> one of the U.S. Marshals in the art- in one of the articles I read said that it- he would ask people where they want to go and then cross the places they mentioned off because those places uh, obviously for some reason might have a connection to those people or it might be more obvious. So if you want to go to Hawaii and witness protection, say Omaha and hope that you get Honolulu. I don't know. So WITSEC, Witness Security, is a federal program meant for federal cases. So this really depends on the state someone is in. If you are like the witness to a, a gang violence or gang and your life is in danger, it's really up to the state or the region if they have something for you. But it's really more for large state cases or federal cases. There was a lot of people in witness protection in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s when they're trying to bring down a lot of organized crime families and So witnesses or whistleblowers at the state level, it really depends on the state. Um, I know that California and I think Illinois and New Jersey had had um, witness protection or witness relocation programs, but I couldn't get a sense of other states. And if you want to read more or know more, there's a pretty good book uh, by Gerald Schur and Pete Early Gerald Sherwood was instrumental in starting the witness protection program, and he actually wrote a book called WITSEC, Inside the Federal Protection Program. He was instrumental in starting it, and he was part of the intelligence office. So he doesn't obviously give a lot of detail on where they're putting people, but apparently has a lot of really good anecdotes about different crime families and stuff they infiltrated and the people that they protected
1: neat yeah (laughs) there's a great drunk history episode and I don't remember the episode where they interviewed the son of an arsonist for an organized crime family Mm -hmm. and the arsonist had turned state's evidence and uh, the man grew up not knowing who he was or who his father was uh, until much later and it was. I feel terrible that I don't remember the guy's name, but I remember it was Nick Offerman and Connie Britton, who were the actors. Oh, my gosh. And they did such a good
0: job. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> so, yeah, watch that.
1: Yeah, and apparently, hopefully, it wasn't an issue for him to go on a Comedy Central uh, show about history. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably his father has since passed away.
0: Yeah, so it wouldn't make any difference now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 18,000 plus people. Yeah. 18,000 people. That's a lot of people. And I didn't mention this, but in the Haiti and there was a few anecdotes of people that they put in witness protection when they were really trying to bring down the crime families. Like people could be getting like breast implants on the federal government, (laughs) like free dinners, all kinds of money. Free cars, just because they wanted these people to turn state's evidence and return federal evidence and actually bring down these families for racketeering or organized crime. So it sounds like in the book there's a lot more stuff to learn about these crazy situations.
1: I just feel like that doesn't sound legal, but I don't, I'm not a lawyer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it is apparently legal because of the Organized Crime
1: Control Act. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's not illegal of... to be real nice to people if you want them to tell you something.
0: Exactly. Okay. <laughs> cool.
1: My topic is similar, but not the same. And it is where did other hominids go? Ooh. Humano evolution isn't linear. Homo sapiens have existed alongside other hominids of varying species even today. So, archaeological and paleontological evidence and knowledge is not immortal, immutable, or complete. And I'm, I'm saying that because this was the best I could come together or cobble together in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> I've actually been wanting to do this episode for months. Awesome. And it was difficult to come up with a way to present the entirety of human and humanoid evolution In a a succinct enough way to be worth listening to.
0: I'm really impressed you're going to try, honestly. Thanks. That's
1: amazing. So what is extinction? Let's go with that definition first, because a lot of humanoid species are considered extinct. When the last individual of an animal or plant species dies out. Now, do we know when most of the species I'm about to talk about went extinct? Probably not. It's very approximate. And the last of a species dying out, making air quotes, is often only a really distinct and knowable thing during a massive extinction event. Uh, One of the reasons that we know that the Anthropocene era, so when people showed up, is we're deeply involved in extinctions of species. part of that is because we've watched them go extinct, like literally watch the rhino die in the zeotype thing. Uh, so when your only evidence is bones and tools and old settlements and some oral history, then it becomes a lot murkier as to where stuff went. Is that enough caveats for me yeah, <laughs> to continue? Definitely. So we'll go along now to some terminology. Hominoid, homini I think that's right, hominoid. So that is great apes, us, and gibbons. Gibbons are loosely related to humans. And then we get into hominids, which are no gibbons. Goodbye, gibbons. You're out of here. We've got living hominids. We're humans, orangutans, gorillas, bonobos, chimpanzees. And I put a sixth item of three question marks because this is a personal thought process. I'm not entirely sure that the number of, and I will probably do an episode on this, but the number of sort of cryptid myths about things like Sasquatch and Yetis and uh, what's the... Bigfoot. I know Bigfoot specifically was like a human made myth. Like a guy had Bigfoot feet and made Bigfoot feet. (laughs) But the number of those stories in human oral history that persists today point to me to our knowledge of human and hominid evolution and existence not being complete. We'll go with that.
0: Oh, I hope so. The truth is out there. The truth is out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the truth is that Homo sapiens have existed alongside other hominin species, I'll explain that in just a second, for the entirety of Homo sapiens' existence.
0: I think that's so weird. There have been other species of humans that have existed alongside us, and we pretty much, for the most part, coexisted with them. Yeah. I, th-
1: I find that amazing. Yeah, and that's... That's a big. The bulk of my (laughs) stories. We knew them. We had families with them. We'll see. So the hominins, which are human-like hominids, that are currently considered extinct, Australopithecines, a lot of Homo species. So Homo sapiens is Homo sapiens sapiens is our species. There are a lot of other Homo species that I will go into. Paranthropus, Artipithecus, Auroran, Saheloth- Sahelanthropus, Kenyanthropus, and more. Because, yeah, there's a lot of them. Because taxonomy is complex and ongoing. And in fact, one of our good buddies is involved in the radical transformation of how taxonomy is working, our good friend Karen Cranston. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. <laughs> And it's called the, what, Tree of Life Project? Yeah. Pretty cool project. Hominin overlap. There have been overlapping territories, timelines, and even genetic exchange between hominin species since there have been hominin species. And this is sort of a personal thought process, but because we're looking at archaeological and paleontological evidence as the bulk of our information about a lot of these species, it is likely the case that evolution didn't involve discrete extinction events where like everybody just died and then there was a new species over there way out yonder that (laughs) was fine it's likely that there were two groups they intermingled and then there became a third group or seven more groups or everybody died in a big ice age event you know it's there was a lot going on in these six million years I'm about to talk about (laughs) So I'm going to start with us and go backward. Homo sapiens sapiens, that's us. We've changed a lot over time, but we showed up in Africa about 300,000 years ago and are still around for now. For now. For now. We coexisted with Homo neanderthalensis, and there's a great deal of evidence that there was interbreeding in Europe between Homo neanderthalensis and Homo sapiens it's entirely possible that Homo neanderthalensis fully integrated with Homo sapiens as species. They Homo sapiens may have also outcompeted Neanderthalensis or climate change may have resulted in the dissolution of their social structure, which makes a lot of sense because ice ages are what we, a lot of us or I think of when I think of Neanderthalensis. And when your entire so- social structure is, deeply involved with a climactic event that ends completely and Mm -hmm. things radically change. You may well completely lose your social stability and social structure and die out.
0: Now the Neanderthal interbreeding with homo sapiens is actually a new thing. I don't think they thought it happened until there was DNA evidence for it until recently. Exactly.
1: And almost all, if not all of this interbreeding information has dna evidence very little of it is well they were near each other so they probably had kids like Mm -hmm. it's a lot of people are deeply uncomfortable with the thought process of evolution which is unfortunate because it makes a lot of sense and then also a lot of people are deeply uncomfortable with the thought of being part caveman which is unfortunate because it makes a lot of sense (laughs) Uh, yeah I think people are uncomfortable with the thought of being part of natural processes in general.
0: Well, it's not like some guy from the Jetsons just got with some uh, knuckle dragging ape. It's, <laughs> it's not anything no, like that. No, like, we were actually, very like, similar. We were, we were very similar and we were living next to
1: them. Yeah. Homo Neanderthalensis is considered to have gone extinct ish because I am of the opinion that if, a species fully interbreeds with another are they extinct is the last one dead i have neanderthal dna mm-hmm. i send my spit into 23andme <laughs> we are not sponsored i know i have yeah. neanderthal dna does that mean neanderthals are extinct biological biological species concept is kind of a messy concept
0: well wasn't it homo sapiens because we're homo sapiens sapiens yes wasn't it homo sapiens and neanderthal so you could even make the argument that homo sapiens just one this one sapiens is extinct too because we are now homo sapiens sapiens
1: true mm-hmm. yep or maybe extinction events are but the species concepts in general are pretty fuzzy yeah <laughs> Also, and actually, Sarah's husband just brought this up as we were discussing recording. But we, Homo sapiens, and Neanderthals coexisted with Homo floresiensis. It's the hobbit, I'm making air quotes, species that was found fairly recently. Mm-hmm. It was an island species. Uh, it was They were very short compared to us. That's why they were called hobbit species. It was probably island dwarfism. It's very common for animals on islands, regardless of their species, to just be real short and small. They likely went extinct around 50,000-ish years ago, which is in line with climactic events like their seeding of glaciers and ice ages and stuff like that. That would have planet-wide impacts, even if they weren't subject to glaciation or... Anyway. But that was a very recent very recent find so it's the type of thing that points out to us immediately and very clearly that we don't know everything about this and i'm not trying to in any way undermine all the effort that people have gone through and are going through right at this very second to tease out this information and better understand it i'm more trying to point out that what i say is kind of (laughs) (laughs) loosey-goosey it's about me not them The predecessor of Neanderthalensis, Homo heidelbergensis Denisova, were likely the first hominins hominins, to venture to Europe. They were also a Homo sapiens predecessor in Africa. So they were likely our predecessor and Neanderthalensis predecessor in different parts of the world. Oh, wow. And there's a fair amount of evidence that the Denisovans Interbred with Melanesians, which is a specific population of people that are originated around the Papua New Guinea area. They are early predecessors of all the Polynesians as they started to develop seacraft and seafaring and, and population populating all of the Pacific Islands, essentially.
0: Wow.
1: So that ties a lot of things together in that we have a common ancestor with Neanderthalensis, and we have a common ancestor kind of with our with ourselves if, if you have Melanesian ancestry uh, so like I said they were likely the first hominins to venture to Europe and they gave rise to Homo sapiens in Africa which means that they were moving and shaking yeah definitely they were wow wa- they were walking around <laughs> they were they were going for it. they likely went extinct and again air quotes around 200,000 years ago. So uh, you can see there's a big difference between the 40,000, 50,000 ish in in relation to Neanderthals, Homo floresiensis. I think that's right. Sorry if it's not, those are similar time periods. And then there's a big gap in terms of sort of extinction events or loss of a species. And I'm making that point because I'm later going to go into driving factors for either speciation events. So, What's likely the result of us finding a bunch of different species that are all from around the same time and extinction events? Mm -hmm. There was another early Homo species in Europe, Homo antecessor. It may have been the first hominin in Western Europe, and there's evidence that they were cannibals. (laughs) Uh, Okay, then. They probably went like, truly went extinct, because cannibalism is not a very functional social behavior. No. And even cannibalism in Homo sapiens is usually ritualistic or done after someone has died of natural causes. Like, it's not a common social construct. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a very common social taboo. What? Well, don't eat your neighbors. Well, and don't eat anything's brainstem.
0: Yeah, that's...
1: That has a lot of evidence that you're gonna end up getting some horrible disease that way. Yeah so there's a
0: lot of horrible spongy form encephalitis from that you can get
1: from eating other people's brains. They went extinct around 650,000 years ago. Yeah, well, they ate each other yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about Homo erectus. This is a really interesting species. Yes uh, they went everywhere everywhere. They were busy bees. They are the longest species existence of hominin. They had the uh, nine times the species lifespan, not like individual lifespan, but nine times the Homo sapiens span of existence. So they were around for a long time. Wow. They spread to different parts of Africa, all over Africa. And Africa, I'm going to make another point here, is an enormous continent yes enormous most maps that we see in north america do not have a projection which is how the map goes from a 3d sphere to a 2d surface they don't have the projection that shows africa in proper proportions because the focus becomes north america that's why greenland looks so dang big on a lot of maps it's not as big as it looks On a lot of maps that are available in North America. So I just want to emphasize that. So even if a hominin species didn't leave Africa, if it moved around in Africa, that's a lot of migration. Yes. On two little feet with no shoes. (laughs) Right? So spreading from different parts of Africa and Asia, uh, it's thought that they went extinct. And again, I'm putting a question mark, 140,000 Or 143,000 years ago. That's really not that long ago. It's not. Because these are some of the earliest Homo species. So they're the earliest, some of the earliest species that could be considered very, very direct ancestors to our species. Right. It's also, if you look at that, Homo hynoblargensis, 200,000 years ago. Homo erectus, 143,000 years ago. So those are two sort of similar timelines. just want to point that out again. Wow, they had all sorts of subspecies, Peking man, Solo man, Java man, like we've heard a lot of these names in mm-hmm. the past, and they they whether they're considered subspecies or not is changing especially as we get more archaeological evidence as well as DNA evidence. And then I put the question mark with when extinct because they are predecessors of, say, Homo hyalbergensis, and then that's predecessors of us and Neanderthals, etc. And they moved around so much. They were so pervasive in such a long-lived species. Are they gone? But we're getting now to the point where we have a real hard time getting DNA out of these bones because they're so dang old. Yeah. We have DNA evidence of Homo We have, I think, pretty sure. Yes, we do. Sorry. Welcome to my thought process. <laughs> <laughs> we have DNA evidence of Neanderthalensis. We have, obviously, DNA evidence of Homo sapiens. I spit into a, a cap and sent it somewhere, and they told me I have DNA. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're now getting to the age where... Uh, that's going to be a, a tough, tough thing to get out of the bones because the bones have often now been completely replaced with minerals. That's how fossils work. We should right. do a, we should do a where the bones go. Exactly. I'm coming up with a lot of episodes just out of this one episode. I love this. I could talk for like six hours about this. I
0: uh, So I took a class in, in college that was pretty much this topic. So that's why I am incredibly impressed that you're going to truncate it into your your 20 minutes or a half hour.
1: I'm trying. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. We've now got Homo habilis found in Tanzania, may have gone extinct around 1.4 million years ago, but there's limited info about them, mostly because they likely went extinct about 1.4 million years ago. It's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. They may or may not be the same species as Homo rudolfensis. That's another thing is that we're losing abundance of fossil evidence because of things like tectonic plate movement, etc. It just age. Also, I don't know if you knew this, but large parts of Africa are really hot and that's not conducive to keeping tissue around. Yeah. <laughs> bone or otherwise homo habilis was likely the earliest homo species and before this hominins were not closely related enough to us to be considered a homo species but this might change over time and i did just mention tectonic movement yes and this would be a good time to mention that the earth 1.4 million years ago didn't necessarily look continentally like it does now Ooh. Land masses change over time. They do? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned tectonic movement, and a lot of people are familiar with the concept of, say, Pangea Yay. as just, like, a big smash-up of continents, and some separated and some smashed into each other. Like, the big part of why we the Himalayas are such large mountains is because the Indi- Indian subcontinent smashing into Asia happened fairly recently. And by fairly recently, I mean millions of years ago, but, you know, geology moves at its own pace. (laughs) (laughs) So it's worth noting as well, I mentioned that Africa is a lot bigger than a lot of people in, say, North America. Conceptualize it. The Earth didn't look the same, so walking to Asia might not have been as odd a thing as it sounds right now Mm -hmm. to walk to Asia (laughs) from Africa, because a lot of the seas that exist now may have been in different conformations. And we also don't have full understanding of seafaring and, and human and hominin, I don't know, inception of seacraft. Right. (laughs) Because boats are made out of wood and uh, wood rots, or you can burn it. And so the history of wooden implements is kind of difficult to fully describe.
0: And they may have used that boat with all those logs or whatever they made, or coconuts or whatever they used, it to make a house afterwards. So exactly. we have no idea. Like exactly. A raft is still a seafaring vessel. Yeah.
1: A floating log is a seafaring vessel if the sea is small
0: enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and your grip is good enough. Yeah, right? So... There's a lot that we don't know that could have happened. Uh, there are several South African species, homo species, that weren't around for comparatively long. Homo ergaster, Homo helmei, and Homo gotengensis, one or the other. They, I mean, maybe several tens of thousands of years, which sounds like a long time, but compared to the existence of say homo erectus not really homo how i helmi- may have left africa but it wasn't around for long which makes me wonder about i mean heck they walked from south africa out of africa that takes some time yeah <laughs> but it makes me wonder about their relation to say homo erectus or were they just absorbed into another species because we're talking about Species that look pretty similar. There might have been different sized brain cases or different shaped teeth, or maybe the women and men in this society were of similar height instead of very different height. Right. But these are the major differences that we know of. Those aren't those aren't massive differences. That's not the difference between a human and a turtle. <laughs> right. Like having you know and, and having <laughs> pointier teeth. <laughs> or having the women be taller, or the men be shorter is not a massive uh, impediment to interaction on a social scale. <laughs> now we can go into earlier hominins so these are species that aren't homo species. Mm-hmm. Homo means same by the way. Mm-hmm. so it's species a homo species is similar enough to us to be considered kind of same I'm, right. ma- I'm making air quotes.
0: I like that you dictate your air quotes.
1: I, I, <laughs> I feel it's important for people to know when I'm being mildly uh, figurative or sarcastic. I love it. <laughs> Australopithecus might be one of the most sort of famous cave, caveman things, species, I guess, because of Lucy. Mm-hmm. Lucy is a, a very complete, comparatively speaking, skeleton found of the Australopithecus species. I think she was Afarensis, but I could be wrong. Some of the first humanoid hominins, they had larger brain cases, upright walking. They had very robust teeth, which means that they had to chew a lot of plants. And they have kind of a tough existence because they were less physically robust than at, say, a great ape. Because of the upright walking, we changed our skeleton and our muscle structure a lot. But because of upright walking, it's thought that we could see very differently. Mm -hmm. And it changed how we see and how we developed, eventually developed tools, etc. There's a lot behind that. Australopithecus species likely went extinct as late as 2.1 million years ago, and they probably didn't leave Africa. However, they spread around the continent substantially. So that's a lot of migration and speciation activity regardless. Right. Right. They didn't have as much tool use as homo species or as as much cultural development. They were still tree dwellers part-time and had shorter legs than arms. And it's really pretty likely that climate change may have been a driving force for both their movement and their extinction. Mm -hmm. Climate variability over the last 6 million years has been substantial. Paranthropus species lived alongside Homo erectus, which means that there was probably interbreeding, but it's, it's an older species again. So we don't have a lot, of, we, we can't come up with DNA evidence. It's just gone. Right. They were big chewers. They had actually like modified skulls with a big ridge along the middle so that they could have large muscles attached from their jaws to the ridge along their skull, huh. which means that they ate a lot of plant matter. And so they may have actually specialized themselves out of existence because specializing in chewing up really tough stuff. If climate changes substantially and you can't find the tough stuff and you don't have the social capacity or the physical capacity to say hunt, or you don't know to look for berries or whatever, you'll lose out on a lot of food source. Ardipithecus species were earlier than Australopithecus. They were upright walkers in forested environments, Mm -hmm. upright, upright walking was developed by hominins in forested environments not savannas as was initially thought they were tree dwellers and ground walkers and they probably went extinct around five million years ago again we're getting to a long time ago
0: yeah the and were these the ones that looked like a step between chimps and people like it they looked more like apes than they would, like, we would say people look like. They do. They're definitely hominin, but they, yeah, they're just a little more ape-like. You would look at them and not think that they were
1: human homo sapiens. Yes. It would be, it, it would be like going to the zoo or, some, or an ape's habitat and looking at an ape. Really, it would be mm-hmm. just a different behavior. Right. I don't know. When I, when I... See, apes and monkeys, I am always struck by how human-like they are. Yeah,
0: they're interesting.
1: Even, like, little marmosets and tamarins and stuff. Tamarins are so cute. Yes, they
0: are. Oh, they're naughty, but they're cute. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't want to be anywhere near one, <laughs> but they're fun to look at. Auroran are, I think that's a, it's a newer discovery, mm-hmm. and are, they're earlier species than Ardipithecus. They were upright walkers, and they probably went extinct around 6 million years ago. And then there's helanthropus. They were upright walkers with chimpanzee-sized brains, which shows that upright walking came before increased brain case size. And Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And again, six million years ago, there was an extinction event. So we've got four million years ago, five million years ago, six million years ago, six million years ago. Those are our best understandings of the timing. And those are all pretty similar times. I know they're a million years apart, but... It's also really old rocks at the point. Yeah, exactly. Not compared to, say, the age of the universe, but compared to the age of, like, me. They're old. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes me feel young. <laughs> so what were the driving events behind where hominin species went? And now I'm going to go, I went from modern to old, and now I'm going to go old to modern. In terms of driving events. Bipedalism. Started at 6 million years ago. And hominins were mostly bipedal by 4 million years ago. And I just pointed out that time frame of the 6 million to 5 million. Mm -hmm. Of the bipedalism development. And how they weren't entirely ground dwellers. There was still a lot of tree dwelling. By the time that tree dwelling was gone. A lot of these species were gone. So bipedalism showed a specific fitness for the environment at the time.
0: Right.
1: There's actual reduction in species, known species after bipedalism becomes the norm for hominins. So it's either outcompeting it could even be direct like elimination of your competition because mm-hmm. it's not unco- we, I mean we're we're territorial folks, all of us. Tools By 2.6 million years ago, tool use was very common for hominins. Tools and tool use arose in multiple species. They were a great equalizer. We could make our own claws. We could make our own teeth. It also meant more meat in our diet, which meant bigger brains. That's part of why bipedalism came first, is we couldn't get enough rich food to sustain our big old brains. Mm -hmm. The ability to use tools required the ability to take time to make tools, which meant you needed somebody watching your back so that a cave lion didn't eat you while you were napping flint <laughs> it was a big social coalescer is and this is some of this is just my personal conclusion but i'm sure i'm not the only person who's come to that conclusion you can see in timelines a large diversification of species after tool development paranthropus homo erectus etc showed up Around the same time as tool development, which makes sense because you can get more food, right? And speciation events tend to, it, it's, at least it seems with hominins, correspond with movement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Homo erectus went like everywhere they could; they just went for it. <laughs> Next, we've got fire. By eight hundred thousand years ago, fire and human con- or hominin control of fire was pretty pervasive. And that provided, I would argue, even more modern convenience than tools. And I know that might be sort of a, an audacious statement, but safety, mm-hmm. light after dark, cooked food, yum, yum. warmth, meaning movement to co- cooler climates, increased socialization, because you all needed to hang out near the fire, mm-hmm. control of large scale or large scale environmental control. You could start a fire and burn all the animals into a specific area and then hunt them. You could start a fire and manage an area to turn it into grassland so that the grassland species thrive so that you can have, say, let's talk about bison. So I was going to say, this sounds familiar. Yeah. People would stay in one location longer. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were rituals around fire and social hierarchies around fire and things like that so it's a massive cultural change and there's another large speciation after this of homo species so like us meaning that fire probably there's probably one specific group that did really well with fire and then they were able to just go for it and move around and live their lives Hmm. next we go to brain size versus body size Large brains equal larger ability to think things through, socialize, build stuff, blah, 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 which led to agriculture. Yay! Around 12,000 years ago, I'm going to have the personal opinion that I think it happened a lot earlier, but that's me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Agriculture meant a stable food source, an exploding population size, mm-hmm. less hunter-gatherer and nomadic existence, uh, social hierarchies, towns, houses versus, say, tents or something. Houses you didn't need to move versus houses you did need to move or housing you needed to construct in multiple places over the year. Right. Right. At this point, there was a significant reduction in species of hominins, and pretty much just Homo sapiens, as far as we know, are still around. So agriculture was a big push toward solidifying Homo sapiens as the last existing hominin species. Another major driver was climate. Climate fluctuations cannot be understated in terms of driving speciation events and extinction. And I would argue we know better about the Earth's climate over time than we do about hominin evolution interaction and speciation over time. Because rocks hold a lot more information in their layers than just I mean you can you can look at all kinds of rocks to find climate information versus having to find that one rock that was a bone five million years ago. Right. Variability included droughts, ice ages, periods of relative stability and then loss of that stability. Which sounds pretty familiar right now. <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> It's a myth. It impacted movement of groups, what they could eat, whether they could find water. It's it's thought that around 80,000 years ago, Homo sapiens almost went extinct because of a massive worldwide drought. Mm. And that the species population may have narrowed down all the way to only 10,000 individuals.
0: Yeah, it was the bottleneck, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Your tool needs change based on climate. Your development of ideas like clothing. If it's real hot... You're not going to need a lot of clothing. No, nope. it's real cold. You're gonna you're gonna put something on pretty quick.
0: I'm looking at that by that woolly mammoth and thinking, mm,
1: they look warm. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they do, and mean. Let's let's put it down before we put it on. <laughs> <laughs> so I had mentioned before uh, modern and archaic human interbreeding. And I think this is an important component that we're just starting to really learn about. And I think it's also important when talking about extinction, because if I have Neanderthal DNA in me and I'm hanging out right here and I have a kid who's at daycare right now who has Neanderthal DNA in her, is that extinction? I would say no. I would agree with you, but I don't know that, say, even Karen Cranston would agree with us. (laughs) You could email us, Karen. We miss you. (laughs) Yes, we do. She's in Canada, living her best life. Yay. There's a fair amount of evidence of Neanderthalensis DNA in European descent Homo sapiens. There's a fair amount of DNA evidence of Denisovans, which are likely Homo heidelbergensis, interbreeding with Homo sapien predecessors of Melanesians, Papua New Guineans, Fiji, Vanuatu. These are predecessors of Polynesian populations and Oceanian predecessors. However. It's possible that the male children of this interaction were infertile, but females were not. So there are portions of this general area, meaning like the entire Pacific Ocean, basically, that have no Denisovan genetic contribution. And mainland Asia doesn't have a lot of evidence of Denisovan genetic contribution either. Huh. So it's a very sort of specific, discrete event or set of events that involved interactions genetically. And then it may have been very narrowly guided by you know fertility and viability
0: so you can only find it in the mitochondrial dna
1: for your mother basically it it, from what i was reading it was x chromosome linked right okay so it wasn't even mitochondrial dna it was specifically x chromosome wow interesting due to climactic challenges recovering dna from particularly south african hominins is difficult it's hot there stuff dries out dna is wet <laughs> there is some evidence based on genetic observations of living people in groups that there's small percentage of DNA was introduced to Homo sapiens in the area fifty thousand years ago, thirty five thousand years ago, etc. Meaning some interactions genetically with archaic hominins.
0: Okay. So from what you're saying, I'm getting that Homo sapiens came out of Africa. Both um, Homo heidelbergensis existed. And all over Europe, and so we, are Homo sapiens, our ancestors basically coexisted with them and interbred with them
1: at the time. Yes. Okay, awesome. But not not all Homo sapiens have lineages from either Neanderthalensis or Homo hydroblegensis. Uh, right, okay. So it just kind of depends. Right, um, it
0: depends wh- on what whether your ancestors were
1: around them or not. Yeah, and then also, you know, future movement migration etc there's also a little bit of evidence and this is a very recent piece of information that there are genes from an as yet unknown archaic hominin in the homo sapien human genome and that might be everybody and so that might be an event or an interaction that happened say before the bottleneck wow okay who knows so that's where other hominins went we've got genetic involvement with existing ones We've got some extinction events that were likely very distinct, and then we've got an awful lot of migration. We've got a lot of who knows, right? So it's a it's a fuzzy <clears throat> but interesting topic.
0: So what's next? I think probably uh, climate change is going to lead us to Homo cyborgius. Ooh, <laughs> Homo roboticus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I just, I just think of Borgs. You can uh, find out more at where does and check us out on Twitter and Instagram. That's where we're most active.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, we have a Tumblr and some other stuff. Pinterest.
0: Yes. Oh, and yeah, we, I occasionally will save like reuse projects on our Pinterest just because it's fun. We used to do reuse projects, but it was, it was too much. So now I just save them on our (laughs) Pinterest page if you're interested in where things go and changing the life cycle of things.